0: Uh, yes, that's hilarious. Uh, I hope you're enjoying this James series. It is so relevant, so practical. And uh, today we're going to talk about planning and God's will versus my will, so on and so forth. And and uh, I, I am a three on the enneagram, so I'm an achiever. So planning is is huge in my life. It always has been. So this has been especially. Uh, interesting for me to kind of dig into this passage for my own personal sake, as well as maybe for the teaching moment as well. So uh, maybe the best thing to do right now is just kind of start with prayer, and then we'll kind of dig into this. So God, thank you for this word. Thank you for uh, this uh, time of gathering today. Thank you for those who have been able to to get out this morning. And we just uh, pray as we look at this passage of scripture, Father, that it would become uh, even more real to us and practical and applicable to our lives. And so God, we uh, We just would pray this in such a way that we would say, uh, not, uh, not, not your will, but mine be done. And all those who agreed said, someone caught that, didn't you? Yeah, I have a few who caught just what I just said. Most of you, I said, uh, we're also kind of conditioned to say amen, so you kind of uh, like, which means I agree with. So, yeah, I I just kind of concluded that. And I did ask for forgiveness in advance before I said that prayer, uh, but it was intentional when I said, uh, Nevertheless, not your will, but mine be done. But isn't that what happens so often? We can get really confused as to. God, what is your will? What is my will? I tell people all the time, God's voice sounds a lot like my voice, and I don't say that as a compliment to myself. Because a lot of times what I'm hearing is what I want to hear, and it's not necessarily God's voice, it's my voice, what I want. Kind of like the story, it's an old story that's been repeated often about the the guy who drove to work every day, and and quite often, several times during the week, he'd bring in a box of donuts, because he drove right by the donut shop. And he was really tempted to him, so he, he enjoyed them himself, and he'd bring them to work, and he just, uh, pretty much almost every day, he'd bring some donuts in, and people got, kind of got used to that. One day, he just stopped bringing them in. Someone questioned him and said, what's, what's going on? I said, well, I, I've got to, to stop doing this. I've got to lose some weight myself. I've got to eat healthier, so I just decided I'm going to have to drive a different route to work and not drive by that donut shop because I'm just so tempted to stop there every time I drive by. So I said, what? "That sounds good. That's a healthy choice. We, we can live with that. We will kind of miss the donuts, but we, well, we respect that." So everyone kind of got used to that for maybe a couple weeks or so, and then all of a sudden one day he shows up and he's got donuts. And someone said, "What? What happened?" He said, "Well, they said no, it's not what you think. I actually, I, I, did, I did think I was ready to drive by the donut shop today, and and uh, and as I was driving by, I was kind of preparing myself spiritually, and I just said, I prayed to the Lord. I said, Lord." if you want me to stop at that donut shop, let there be a parking spot right in front of the donut shop. And you know what? Sure enough, the fifth time around the block, there it was. We do that all the time, don't we? We can kind of play around with God's will and make it sound like my will, when in reality, it's maybe not. So we have, uh, this is a time, especially this time of the year, by. My granddaughter's uh, graduating from Dayton Christian this year, and and she's thinking about her future and some planning for the future. A lot of you students are already doing that, or you've done that. You've got a place picked out. You've got a career in mind. So many. There's all these decisions in front of us that are kind of looming. They're are all big decisions. Some of you are contemplating a marriage. And is this the right person to marry? Uh, how many children do we want? Is this the uh, is this the right career to stay in? Maybe I need to change careers, and or maybe you're really Digging into the big decision on where we're we going to go for breakfast after church, um, all these decisions, and and many of them are moral decisions. They're allowable. I hope they're legal, uh, but not all of our decisions are wise, and not all of them would maybe be in tune with God with this eternal perspective of God's will for my life. So how do we how do we determine God's will for our lives? So let's look at the scripture. He's James says, now listen, and, and that, by the way, that verse, that word, listen, is a, a powerful, impactful word. It's kind of like when we would say, pay attention, pay attention. What I'm about to say to you is very important, it's life-changing, so listen intently. he says. Today or tomorrow, those of you who say, we'll go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow, or five minutes from now, for that matter. What is your life, James says? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's sin to them. Now, James listeners would have really tuned into this because business travel in that time was very, very common. That's kind of how they did business. You find uh, Quill and Priscilla, Lydia in the in the book of Acts. All of those them were merchants. They were traders. They they sold things. They would, they would pick a place and they would, in fact, if you look at the business model here, it doesn't seem to be anything wrong with the business model. They're saying, hey, we're going to go to the city. We're going to pick a specific place out that we feel like is a good marketable city for our product, for our wear, whatever we're trying to sell and we're going to Go to that city. We're going to spend about a year there. Uh, they have a specific period of time. They're they're capitalists in the sense that they want to make profit, which is nothing wrong with that. We want to profit in what we're doing, and then we'll we'll finally come back. Hey, what's wrong with that plan? That's a similar plan, and many of us would might say that. Hey, that works. That's a good idea. What do you know? So James is not saying that capitalism or trying to make money or trying to even plan is is a bad thing because. We find in other scripture where it's just the opposite. In fact, James would have probably remembered Jesus when he told the parable that Luke records about the builder who, who basically starts building a building and doesn't have any plans at all. He said, what kind of sense does that make? My son-in-law and daughter are building a house uh, not too far from here. And I can tell you they spent months and months and months planning on this, on this home and this property, and making sure that they had the sufficient resources and, and all of that to, in order to do the building, and, and is this going to work? And so they, they spent a lot of time doing that. I've been on two building programs here for at Southbrook as, as a part of the leadership team or vision team, and I can tell you firsthand the amount of time that is spent planning and planning and planning to make sure that these were were uh, not only productive, but also they were the wise thing to do. And a lot of concern and prayer went into those, those programs, Player's Box being the most recent. So it's a good thing. Financial planning is good. The Bible teaches us that. Southbrook, again, offers a lot of different resources, like financial peace. Uh, we, my wife and I took one of the, probably the most helpful class we took several years ago on how to create a living trust. Because we went through my mom and dad's estate uh, issues after they both passed away. And the probate we had to go through. And like, we don't want to have that happen to our own kids. So financial planning is wise and good and productive and helpful. So then what's the deal? What's James saying? And here's the problem. The problem was they had zero eternal perspective in this plan. And he's writing to Christ followers. He's writing to individuals who should have known better. They felt like, in fact, the key word here is your boastful schemes. The idea then is that we are in complete control of our future. We control it. We have the pen in our hand. We can write the narrative of everything that's going to happen in our lives. And James says, that is foolish. That is not wise at all. He said, instead, you ought to realize that hey, life is like a vapor. He uses the word mist. The word mist is, is the, the Greek word there is atmis, A T M I S, where we get our word atmosphere. So he says life is like just a, a a transitory puff of smoke in the air or a fog in the morning that hopefully that, uh, that dissipates as soon as the sun comes out. Maybe by the time we get out of church here, the, the snow will be all off the ground. But uh, life is kind of like that. He says it's very transitory. Age itself, I mean, longevity is like that. Uh, Andy Rooney, I think, was the one who said, uh, life is like a a roll of toilet paper. The closer it gets to the end, the faster it goes. Uh, People around Southbrook know that uh, anything that's left on the countertop of the kitchen is kind of up, up for grabs. It's free. It's whatever you want. So people will leave cookies, you know, donuts and whatever, and occasionally books. This particular book was back there for a long, long time, and I kept watching it every time I walked by, and finally I thought, it must be for me. Because it's entitled, Old Age is Always Fifteen Years Older Than I Am. (laughs) So I grabbed it and I began to read a little bit in it. And uh, it is interesting. But James says, life is this mist. It's very, very short. It's very transient. Moses said, teach us, Lord. In fact, this is a prayer. Teach us to number our days. Because that will lead to a heart of wisdom. That's interesting. Understanding The transitory nature of life, understanding how life, how everything around us is so fragile, that actually leads to heart of wisdom. Every one of us are aware of of stories that happen where where something happens immediately and and life just takes an immediate turn or an, an abrupt stop. Talk to the folks from East Palestine about how fragile life is. Uh, my heart has gone out here recently in the last couple weeks to a young lady I've never even met her or her, her family, but because of her age 17 years of age a Volleyball player which I coach volleyball about the same age as my granddaughter uh, They were at a volleyball tournament in st. Louis. They just finished the first game She's got a full ride scholarship to a college and they're walking to from the restaurant back to their hotel after the game and a, a, a driver speeds through a, a for a yield sign, crashes into another car, and this young lady, 17-year-old, is, is crushed between the car and has lost both of her legs. That's not, that wasn't in their plan. And uh, so that's just been on my heart, and I pray for this young Janae and for her family and for her life and how different life is going to be for her for the rest of her life. And so, and, and we're not to obsess on these kinds of things. We, we could very easily always, always, always look at all the, the worst-case scenarios that could happen. And, and the Bible tells us again, don't do that either. On the other hand, don't be so um, so bold and so gracious that we think somehow we are in control of everything that goes on in our life because we're not. So what's the answer then? Instead, James says... We need to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this, or we will do that. Now, that's not some pithy little cliche. That is absolutely a mindset that I think if we could embrace that mindset, it'll make all the difference in the world, in your life and in mine. That there is an eternal perspective of life, of my life, of your life, of of my job, of your job, of, of the things that I do and the things that you do, that there's an eternal perspective. And God is always, not necessarily in control, but he's in charge. There's a difference. God doesn't, we're not like puppets where God's going to pull the string back and make us do certain things. But don't ever doubt that God is not is in charge because he is. Dr. Tim Keller um, is a, uh, his podcast uh, is one that I've begun listening to the last several months. I really enjoy his teachings. He's an author as well. The podcast is called Gospel in Life. And he says, up until about the last 50 years, you really didn't hear a lot of talk about, like, how do I find the will of God? He said, it's just like you don't read past 50 years. You don't read a lot of preachers preaching about it. You don't read a lot of authors writing about it. And now for the last 20 years or so, it's become almost an obsession. You go to a local bookstore and you find a plethora of books that are all about how to find the will of God. If you had a conference and someone is teaching a class on how do you know the will of God, it will be packed because we, we, we want to know sometimes how to, uh, what, what is God's will. How, how do I know that? In fact, that's why I believe that horoscopes and tarot cards and uh, Magic 8 uh, uh, ball is, is so popular because we, we want someone to tell us what is God's will. I mean, you can even ask, and I'm not going to say the names, but a name starts with an S and a G and an A, uh, on your electronic devices, and you can ask that individual a question about a decision needs to be made, and uh, now you'll get an answer. I'm not going to say it, because I don't know what would happen in this, in this room. Uh, all of a sudden, our phones are going to start, start blowing up with, with, with voices. So we, we love that. So let me consider two truths with you today. First of all, the guidance God does. And then in a few minutes, we'll talk about the guidance God gives. The guidance God does. A part of God's character is the fact that He is a God who leads, who guides. It was fascinating study for me to go through, especially the Old Testament. Proverbs and Psalms are just packed with verses that talk about God, praying for God to lead us, praying for God to guide us. And so that's a part of His character. Um, and yet, as we look through the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, We find that a lot of the ways that God led was very differently than what we see in the New Covenant, especially after the ascension of Jesus and His resurrection and ascension and during the time where the Holy Spirit is is involved. And I think a lot of times what we're asking God to do is to lead us in ways that were more under the Old Covenant, which was like a schoolmaster. It was like like this is the the training ground for where God wants us to be in our lives as Christ's followers. This is a silly illustration. But maybe it goes something like this. You've got an eight year old son. His name is Johnny. And Johnny comes to you. Uh, it's about middle afternoon. says, Hey, Dad, can I go out to play? Uh, my friend Tommy is in the backyard. His mom's back there. And I'd like to go out and play. And you said, Well, you know, let me check and make sure it's okay with Tommy's mom. And supper's going to be in about 30 minutes. So sure, you can go out and play as long as it's okay with Tommy's mother. You check with Tommy's mother. It's fine. So Johnny goes out, plays with him. You call him in a few minutes later, and he comes in for supper. Everything's cool. Johnny's now 20 years old. He's away at college. And it's about supper time, and you're kind of getting ready to sit down. And all of a sudden, your, your cell phone rings, and you pick it up, and you see recognize the number, and, and you say, hey, son, it's Johnny. And Johnny said, hey, Dad, I just uh, was wanting to check with you. Some guys are going to go out and go play some frisbee golf out here. Would it be okay if I went out and played frisbee golf with them? Have you been drinking? What's wrong with you? And he said, I I just wanted to check, and, and I just wanted to make sure it was okay with you. And you say, son, you know what your schedule is like. You know what your classes you have. You know what homework you have. You know what your work schedule is. You know if you have any exams. Make a decision. It's okay. Now, I know some parents would love to have their kids be that dependent upon them in their midlife, but God is not one of them. God wants us to grow in our trust and in our relationship with Him. So under the old covenant, things were very different. You find where there's angels and there's there's dreams and there's prophets and there's signs from above. Remember when the children of Israel were wandering out of out of Egypt towards the promised land, God gave them his Shekinah glory to lead them. His Shekinah glory appeared like a cloud in the day and a fire by night. They had the tabernacle, which was portable, and, and they would pick up the tabernacle. Whenever the, the cloud would go, the tabernacle would go, the people followed. And when it stopped, they stopped. There was even a thing, and this was fascinating, and I'm going to talk more about this at our Pizza Paul and Mary study this Tuesday at CESO at at noon, but there was a thing called the urn and the thumben, and I did say that correctly, Uh, the urn and the thumben, and this was a a couple stones that the priest, the Levitical priest would keep with them, and apparently there were a a means, and. Scholars are really in in kind of all over the place as far as their opinions about this, but it was apparently a way where people could go to the Levitical priests and they would get a yes or no answer from God. And so it'd be kind of like, and again, it's it's all over the place, whether the stones were taken out and tossed on the ground or whether they reached in and pulled out one stone and it meant one thing and the other stone meant another. It was even also a way where they would determine guilt or innocence in, in a legal case which is crazy to me. I, I, I worked in a court for 12 years, and I can't imagine someone coming up before our Judge Murray when he was judge, and say, uh, and, and you're trying to deal with his innocence or guilt, and the judge says, well, hey, let me check here, um, and pulls out the urn erm and the thumbing, and uh, either toss them on the ground and says, well, you're guilty, or no, you're innocent. That's kind of the equivalent of a coin flip or doing paper, rock, and scissors, or, or again, the magic eight ball, you know what? That, that just doesn't make, but that's how that's how things did. And, and God would say, give it sometimes a yes or no answer. There's examples of King of David who who actually sought a yes or no answer from the Urim and the Thummim. And we look at all that and we say, that's what I'm talking about, though. I want God to give me answers just like that. I want him to tell me yes or no. I want him to lead me and give me a cloud by day or a ball of fire by night. And I think, really? Really? I don't think so. Most of us hate that kind of navigation that tells you every step of the way. So men, we always have, we've always always had a reputation of not being willing to ask for directions. But if you're like me, and I'm just gonna give you me as an example, and I bet you that there's a lot of you who are just like that, I love my navigation systems on the, on the vehicles or on your phones. But what I don't like is the voice. (laughs) And so the first thing I do is make sure the audio is turned off on that thing because I don't want that voice telling me three times that I've got a right turn coming up ahead of me. Or I don't want this voice telling me when I pulled off just to get a cup of coffee, recalculating, recalculating, recalculating. (laughs) So I don't like to be told, I love the navigation. Tell me where, show me where I'm going on the map, but don't talk to me. Now, my wife loves it. She says, well, at least someone's talking to me <laughs> <laughs> She's not real. I don't care at least she's talking to me. Are you talking back to her? <laughs> but in the Old Testament, that's kind of what what things took place but But in the New Covenant things become different It was probably back in the 80s. It was definitely pre GPS and pre cell phones uh, two of my friends from the Xenia area, we were three of us were hunting down in uh, southern Ohio, Adams County. We had some new property we were hunting on. Never been there before. It was very, very hilly. And so we went out one day hunting, and uh, we met up about midday or so. One of the guys wanted to go back to the vehicle. The other two of us, uh, myself and the other, wanted to keep on going. So we kept on going, thinking we knew where we were. At least we had a sense of where we were going. We didn't. Uh, We kept walking, both of us in agreement that we felt like we were going the right way back to the truck. Both of us were wrong. We ended up seeing uh, some houses finally, at least we were out of the woods, but nothing looked familiar. So we walked up, we picked one house that had a vehicle outdoors and it had some lights on, so we went up and knocked on the, uh, I had my friend stand by the, on the sidewalk, I said, hold my gun with you. So he has two guns. (laughs) I walk up to the house, knock on the door, two gal, two ladies come to the door, one of them is holding a small child, and I asked them, I said, Do you, we're, we're kind of lost, We," and I told them the road we were headed for, she didn't even recognize the name of the road, that's not a good sign, and then I said, well, it's past, the the, low, the only land site I could think of was an old place, it used to call me Rudd's Christmas Tree Farm, I said, we're well, right past Rudd's Christmas Tree, oh yeah, I know, I, know, I think I know where that is. I said, well, how far away? He said, oh, it's probably, I'd say seven miles or so. And uh, I thought, ah, that's not, I walked back to my friend. I said, how much money do you have on you? And he said, what do you, got? I said, I want to see if they'll, I can't walk seven miles in these boots and all this gear. And so I walked back and said, Would, could, could we buy your gas or pay, help pay you to take us there? Now, some of you are thinking immediately What two women would open up their door, first of all, to two guys in camo with guns? And then what women would would actually get in a car and let us ride in the car with them? And let me say this as kindly as I can. My friend and I had more reason to be afraid of them than they did of us. That's all I'm going to say. In fact, as we're riding in the vehicle, I'm thinking, this is like a bad movie. It's not going to end well at all. But they got us back to our, our location, and all was fine, and we thanked them for it and gave them what money we had. And, uh, but the point of, of this story is that we didn't need guidance. We needed a guide. It's interesting. As they were trying to tell us descriptions, and, and I can't remember exactly what they said, so I'm making some of this up, but it was kind of like this. They would say, well, you know, if you'd go down, down past Uncle Jed's farm... And then take a right where that old oak tree used to be. And then if you go down and if you see a crick, you've gone too far. That, that, That doesn't help us at all. We didn't need guidance. We needed a guide. And so that's what God gives us then under the new covenant. In fact, in John chapter 16, it says the Holy Spirit will guide. And the word guide means show you the way. The Holy Spirit will be our guide. And he'll guide you in all truth. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, all who are led by the Holy Spirit are sons of God. So God leads us. He becomes our guide, which is very different than just looking for signs and looking for clouds and looking for, you know, yes and no answers. Look at the guidance God now gives us. This is what he wants to provide for you and I today. There's two verses in the book of Proverbs, chapter 16, that are just six verses apart. And one of them says, commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed. Now, most of us look at that verse and say, if I make all my plans and then pray and ask God to bless them, then he'll jump in and he'll bless my plans. That's not what that verse is saying at all. It's saying commit. The word commit means to roll over upon, place all your weight upon the Lord. And as you do so, you will become a person who makes wise choices and wise plans, which God will bless. That's what that verse means. And then look at the next verse. In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. So your plans, your choices, are your choices. You own them. Again, you're not a puppet. God's not going to keep you from making choices, good or bad. Your choices belong to you. And because your plans and your choices belong to you, you have every incentive then to be wise and understand the power of every choice that you make, both good and bad. But on the other hand, you also know that you have a loving Heavenly Father who comes alongside of you and can even take our dumb choices and our foolish choices and our mistakes and He can redeem them. In such a way that they become a part of our wisdom. and A part of how we understand and know right, how to do the right things. And many of us, are, we're, we're testimonies all over the room. And the room and, and the home of this very truth. I love the story in the Old Testament of Joseph. Just a real brief snippet of his story. Jacob, Joseph's father, was literally destroying his family. He was, it was like a poison with his favoritism of his youngest son. Joseph over the other eleven. And Joseph was becoming a haughty, spoiled brat as a result. His brothers were becoming very angry and very vengeful because of the favoritism that Jacob. It was just it was like it was a destructive family dynamic. And so, as you know the story, the brothers finally have an opportunity to kind of get rid of their Joseph and they. They, they end up selling him into slavery. They take his coat. They go back to his father, tell his father he's dead. And Joseph ends up oh, eventually in Egypt. And bad thing after bad thing after bad thing after bad thing. Year after year after year after year. Things like that happen to Joseph. And Joseph's crying out to God. And God seems to be absent. Doesn't seem to answer. But slowly and surely, Joseph is becoming a man of wisdom. He is learning how to be a man of God to where finally he has the opportunities with his brothers to say, everything that you intended for my harm, actually for evil, God made it into good. And aren't we all living examples of that very fact? So even though our plans belong to us, God is also one who will determine our steps and he will, he will bring about good into all these things of our life. A few, probably a couple months ago, um, Eric Fleming, one of our Southbrook pastors, was teaching a a PPM while we were still having them in Southbrook out in the atrium. And Eric shared a story that literally wrecked me in in a way that I have prayed for so, so long in my life. And I still remember the feeling to this day, it was, what? And uh, and we talked about it, I've really meditated and prayed about this, and I, I believe I believe that what he said was absolutely right, and I've changed the way I pray as a result of that. He talked about the story of John Cavanaugh, who was a professor and an author who went to Calcutta. This is a number of years ago when Mother Teresa was still living, and he traveled thousands of miles just to see Mother Teresa. Finally, after months, he was able to meet her, and he asked her to pray for him Mother Teresa said, so what do you want me to pray for you about? John Cavanaugh replied, clarity. I want you to pray for clarity. She said, I will not. What? Why? And she said this, clarity is the last thing you're clinging to that you have to let go of. He said, "I don't understand, Mother Teresa. You look like a person who've always had clarity." And Mother Teresa laughed, and she said, "I have never had clarity. What I have had is trust. And so I will pray that you trust God." My life verse is in Proverbs three verses five and six, and I, there's a whole story behind that, how that came my life verse, and it was a, a dark time of my life where I was truly seeking guidance in my life. And this verse was given to me and has become a part of the bedrock of my heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. And this this little formula that I have uh, that's from this verse, this is nothing profound, this is nothing amazing it's just something has worked for me through my through my life has been the first of all through this verse i want to trust him as my guide with all my heart he is my i don't need guidance i need a guide and number two seek wise godly counsel because on all my understanding i i'm lacking in understanding in fact sometimes when i talk to a trusted godly counselor godly counsels in my life what I don't realize is that, that I'm the only one who can't see my blind spots. They can. Everyone else can I can't. So I need, I can't trust my own understanding. I need to seek godly, wise counsel in my life on decisions. And then number three, relax and make a decision. A little, little snippet of, of my life story. And I want to close with a, another story. When I was in high school, my if you ask me what my career choice was going to be, it was to be a, I wanted to be a coach because my identity was athletics, specifically basketball. I chose Kentucky Christian College, Kentucky Christian University now as my college of choice, primarily because I had the chance to play basketball as a freshman there because they had a horrible team the year before, and they were begging me to come and play, and so I had a chance to play and, and be active and not have to sit i love the christian college atmosphere don't don't doubt that but i wanted to play and but my goal my career choice was i was going to go into coaching because that's all i really knew and that's the only thing that made any sense to me so i go to kentucky christian uh i end up meeting the one who would be my wife there and uh, we uh, went through college i started finally after graduation we got married and we um began a little church south, just west of uh, Hillsborough, Ohio, a place called Allensburg. I was there for six and a half years. Um, I got a call from a place in Xenia about coming, and, and, and uh, I accepted that. Again, this is a very, very 30,000-foot sn- view of this. During this time of transition, uh, two of our children come into our lives later on at, at Xenia, which ended up being a 30-year pastoral lead pastoral ministry in Xenia. Our other child, Michonne, was born to us. So now our three children is also lifelong friends at Allensburg, lifelong friends at Xenia. Uh, One of those friends um, in Xenia ended up becoming a judge of municipal court. And uh, after I concluded my ministry in Xenia, um, I was invited to come and serve with him as as a court administrator, clerk of court at Xenia Municipal Court. That became a 12-year serving term there. Also... But that was also a complete change of venue for me, complete different atmosphere from the church world leading a church to leading a, a municipal court. And I remember uh, I struggled with that. And in fact, I had some people actually tell me in my, to my face how disappointed they were that I had left the ministry. And the way God answered that question or that comment was, One of the first days I was at my job on a Thursday, which is always the day I watch my kids, and I started watching my granddaughter, Reagan, who was just a two-year-old, almost ready to turn three. She's also the one um, on our worship team, not today, but... And so I remember holding her in front of one of the mirrors, I wanted to, to introduce her to our court staff and all that And I said, Well, Reagan, this is my new this is gonna be my new office. And she looked at me and as a little two and a half, three, almost three year old, and she said this, she said, with well, a puzzled look, This is your new church? And I said, Yes. So that's also during the time then as I was with the court that I began serving here at Southbrook, which has led into where we are today with, with City Lights. And, and today is City Lights Sunday. And we want to encourage you to, to even as we, before you leave here today, to, to stop by the City Lights kiosk, because when we think about God's will and, and what all God is doing in our lives, one of the things we can be clear of is that God in Scripture has told us always to care for the vulnerable, to feed the hungry. And our focus throughout this whole month with City Life Sunday is to is to take care of those that are that are struggling with with food, the lack of food, and so we have uh, two two things well, Several, but but one is pack the pantry for our, our West Carrollton schools, where you can go and find out more about how you can be be a part of that ministry of just literally providing school lunches for these children who are are very very low on resources. And one of our other pantries, uh, it's called. Um, uh, the name has slipped my mind. Um, our, our pantry in Centerville has also struggling and, and very short of, of foods and uh, canned goods and things. So if you'll just go to the City Lights kiosks, there'll be someone there that will talk to you. They'll either, you can either take a QR code to snap that or you can just take a, a handout and say, here's how you can help and here's how you can help with these food needs. Because that is God's will to take care of people and to feed the hungry and to take care of the vulnerable. So God has led me into this ministry and this role. And by the way, by the way, remember what my first career choice was—to be a coach. God has opened the door for me to coach. Most of you know that I'm a voracious reader. And I'm going to close with just this, uh, this story. Uh, I love looking for new books to read. And George MacDonald is, is an author that I knew a little bit about. But again, when I was listening to this particular podcast by Dr. Keller, he referred to these two books written by George MacDonald over 150 years ago, these books that were written. But they're written in a kind of allegorical style, like the Chronicles of Narnia. In fact, if you like Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit, J.R. Tolkien, uh, J.R. Tolkien was greatly influenced by George MacDonald, and so his writing style is very similar to MacDonald's. But the two books that I found very interesting that I immediately picked up, and I've I've read both of them uh, since then time, one is called The Princess and the Goblin, and the other one is The Princess and Curdie. So The Princess and the Goblin. It starts out like this. There's a young princess. Her name is Irene. Uh, The king sends her to a house in the kingdom to keep her safe because there's this underground kingdom called the goblin kingdom that's trying to overcome the kingdom above ground. And what Irene discovers is that that these goblins are burrowing underneath their house and want to come up and try to capture her. So it turns out Irene is searching through the house one time. She kind of feels a calling and she goes up, up top the stairs and she opens up the door and there is a an older woman who's at a spinning wheel, spinning silk, and engages in a conversation. She's visiting her a couple times, but she finds that sometimes the grandmother looks old, sometimes she looks young, sometimes she's there, sometimes she's not. She's not predictable. One day she comes to the top, and she's talking to her grandmother as she calls her, and her grandmother's spinning this silk thread, and she says to Irene, I want to give you something very special. And he gives her two things a bowl of thread, and a ring. And she says, what's this about? What's this for? She says, the ring is for you to wear, and the thread is for you to, to always know that you're safe. And you're going, so I, I'm going to give you one end of the thread, and she says, I'm going to keep the other end, the ball of thread, with me and put it in her drawer. She says, why would you keep the ball of thread here? And And the grandmother said this, I'll tell you why. Tie the other end to your ring. Whenever there is trouble or you're in danger, put the ring underneath your pillow, feel for the thread, and follow the thread, and the thread will bring you to me and to safety. And the grandmother says, Be sure to follow the thread. Trust the thread. Because it's going to lead you in ways that you're not anticipating, but just trust the thread and follow the thread. A few days pass. Irene wakes up, and she hears these horrible noises, what appears to be... uh, the goblins and snarling and making terrible noises. She puts the ring under her pillow and she begins to follow the thread. But instead of taking her up the stairs where she's used to going to see the grandmother, it takes her outside, up the side of the mountain, into a cave, leading her right down to where the goblins were. And Irene's thinking, this doesn't make any sense. But she says, My grandmother told me, I've got to follow the thread. Don't doubt the thread. She goes down deeper and deeper into the mountain. It seems like it's taking her exactly the opposite direction of where she should be, going towards danger instead of away from it. It finally leads her to what she thinks is a dead end. It's a bunch of rocks. She falls down and she cries. I don't understand. She tries to go back, but the thread disappears if you try to go back. So she concludes, the only thing I can do is to tear away these rocks because that's where the thread is leading her. And as she pulls the rocks away, she finds that behind those rocks was her friend, Curdy, who had been captured and trapped by the goblins underground. And Curdy looks at the princess and said, How in the world did you ever find me? My grandmother sent me. I had no idea you'd been captured by the goblins. I didn't know why the thread was leading this way, but now I know. And Curdy wants to go back the same way they came, but but she says, No, we've got to follow the thread. And he trusts her, and she eventually follows the threat, then they're led out of danger. And so I challenge you today, maybe as you're going to communion, or maybe as you just go home, find your ball of thread, find your ring, and let that remind you, first of all, who you belong to, your relationship with the Father, and then trust the thread. And understand that as God answers your prayer of guidance, do you know what he'll do also? You become the answer to someone else's prayer. Because God will lead you to save others. Because there's someone in your life right now that's trapped and can't get out. And as God leads you to safety, he'll also lead you to them as well. So, Father, may we truly trust with all of our heart in you. And Lord, help us to lay aside all of our own understanding because sometimes it's so faulty as we seek godly counsel and in all our ways acknowledge you and you will direct our paths. And everyone who agreed with that said, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.